Do you want something new for your child? Whether they're a teen or a young adult, invite them to try something new, something where they can meet great people, have fun, and be accepted as themselves. And at the same time, they'll learn mindfulness practices and communication skills they can use to help themselves create inner balance and harmony, create focus and follow through, or to just plain feel good. All of this is happening at IBME's New Year's online retreats for teens and young adults. You can learn more and register on Inward Bound Mindfulness Education's website, ibme.com. This episode of the Mighty Parenting Podcast is sponsored by Inward Bound Mindfulness Education. Okay, mamas. It's here, help for finding time for what matters most. I know how hard it is to be a parent and follow a passion at the same time. Whether you wanna work, run a business, travel, or take better care of yourself, I want you to be able to do it and love your family. I believe that when we get to follow our passions, it makes us better parents. So I've created a lesson showing you how I started finding time for things other than being mommy. It's the same method that I use in coaching my clients, and you can get the video lesson at sandyfowler.com slash find-time. sandyfowler.com slash find-time. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting Podcast. And I just want to remind you to be sure to go to mightyparenting.com to grab the free email series we have there on how to talk to your teen. One of the big problems we are seeing is the growing anxiety in our teens. Our teens are feeling more anxious than ever, and they are not alone. Parents are more anxious too. It's just this kind of spreading, I think of it like spilled paint that's spreading across our society and it's sort of touching everybody. And I know that I've seen it in our house. In fact, my one daughter and my husband have both gone and gotten some professional help for their anxiety. And I saw how the anxiety and getting the help impacted them and also how it impacted my other daughter and myself too. So I know this is an important topic to cover, and I feel very fortunate that we have Tanya Crombie with us today. Tanya is a speaker and a life coach with a doctorate in industrial and organizational psychology. She is the best-selling author of the book, Stop Worrying About Your Anxious Child, How to Manage Your Child's Anxiety So You Can Finally Relax. But most of all, she's a mom. She's a mom who gets it because she's the mom of an anxious child. So Tanya, welcome to Mighty Parenting and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Sandy. I'm so thrilled to be here with you and with all of your listeners. Well, I love your book, that conversational, like, let's just chat over a cup of coffee. In fact, that's what you say, like, we're just going to chat over a cup of coffee. That is the, the tone and the way that you talk to us in the book. You're honest about making mistakes yourself and learning from them. You, you really put it out there and you're very generous with sharing what you've learned from your experience parenting an anxious child. And it's made me a little curious for you personally, you know, stepping back now, 
the parenting journey, writing the book, spending some time talking about it all. For you personally, what was the hardest part of the journey of raising an anxious child? Goodness, there were, there were several things that were tough. Um, I think probably if I were to say what was really the hardest was getting my head around the fact that this, unlike every other thing that my, both, I have two children and up until the point where we really hit the skids with anxiety and my child was really um, struggling at her worst. Everything that had ever happened had been things that as a mom, it was about me getting them what they needed. If they got the flu, I took them to the doctor. I did what the doctor said and I, that was sort of it. And I kind of had that, um, I had that down. I got what, how to do that kind of being a mom. Um, and with anxiety, the hardest part for me was realizing that it wasn't just about me taking care of her. There was a huge element of me taking care of me and getting my, my own fears and anxieties under control so that I could take care of her. Um, and that was, it, that was the big turning point for me. And it was probably was the hardest thing because it was kind of counterintuitive. It's not what we do as parents. It is not what we do as parents. We're always thinking about the kids first and putting the kids first, other than maybe those, you know, those moments where they're making us insane. And maybe we just had a little <laughs> shouting match or we don't want to talk about it, but you know, this stuff happens, right? And then we might go, well, fine, I'm just going to do my thing. But really, <laughs> you know, most of the time that's true. And it sits so well with me when you talk about being the kind of mom who my job is to get them what they need. I never thought about it in those terms, but I think that for many of us, that is the way that we approach our parenting role is getting our kids what they need and not thinking about taking care of us. Yeah, it's it's one thing I say a lot when I speak to parents is there's a reason why on every single flight you've ever been on where they talk about if there should be a change in cabin pressure, these air masks are going to drop down. If you are traveling with a small child, put a mask on yourself first. The reason they tell us that over and over again is because it goes against every instinct we have as a parent. Our instinct is... And that's just one little analogy for the way we approach parenting. It's going to be to put that air mask on that kid, even if it means I'm going to keel over <laughs> and not have oxygen, right? And that was exactly kind of where I found myself at one point in my parenting journey, where I was so busy putting that oxygen mask on my little one that I was keeling over. And I've actually seen that happen. Uh, I, another mom I know who's the just lives a stressful life and she's the parent of an addict and through just simply not taking good enough care of herself while she was trying to take care of her family, get her kids what she need, what they needed, keep life rolling. She landed herself in the hospital and her solution were simple self-care strategies. That's what she had to do was make time, take care of her. Yeah. Yeah. If there were two like two messages I could shout from the rooftops. One would be 
anxiety is a normal part of the human experience because I think we've, we assume that it isn't. And the other message that I would shout from the rooftops, and I have a thousand different ways of saying it, is that taking care of yourself as a parent is core to being the best parent you can be. It's not selfish. It's not, um, you know, ignoring your kids and only focusing on yourself. It is the strategy that allows you to be the best parent you could be. It really, really is. Well, and that ties into one of the things you said in the book. You said when you're dealing with an anxious child, the calm has to start with you. So taking care of ourselves and learning to be calm, staying calm. And we had uh, I Be Me experts on the show to help us with some of that. Doing that, um, keeping in mind your tenant in the book. Again, you said that you know the purpose of the book was to help parents relax and enjoy parenthood. And so that too, it sounds like it's about us, but it's not all about us. It, it all ties back into that taking care of our kids. So why is that? Why, why does the calm, you know, why when dealing with an anxious child, why does the calm have to start with us? What does that mean? Well, when your child is struggling with anxiety, again, this is, this is my personal experience, I guess, you know, in theory, I have all kinds of education. And this, that's another reason why I actually wrote the book is because I had every reason why I should have gotten everything right (laughs) in theory. You know, I, I had lots of education. I taught child development when I was in graduate school. I supposedly know a lot of this stuff, but when it comes to your own kid, it's so personal. It's so emotional. All the things you learn tend to fly right out the window. I made so many mistakes. I, I want parents to think, wow, if this lady who, knew a lot of stuff, made mistakes. I shouldn't beat up on myself if I made mistakes. So that's one of my messages in the book is don't feel bad. You know, it's, it's tough. It's tricky. It's hard. Um, And when your kid is freaking out, when your kid is anxious, when your kid is having a panic attack in front of you, no matter how much education you have, your first instinct is to panic yourself. It is It is frightening to see your child struggling and it's especially frightening when it's, you don't, you weren't prepared for it. You weren't expecting it. It feels like it came out of nowhere. That's how it felt for me. I felt like everything was fine and then it really wasn't fine. It was really bad. Um, And when I panicked, it just spiraled into a terrible a cyclone of I was scared, which made her more scared, which made me more scared. And no, nothing was going to come out of that. Nothing good. Um, so I quickly realized that if I couldn't get myself calm and centered and be, have a, a core base where I was parenting from, then, um, then my child was never going to get better that every time she, and she's a child, I'm the adult, I'm the person who she's looking to, to help her. And when she was panicking and she was looking to me, if I panicked, that just said, this is really bad. I don't know what to do either. Um, But when I could stay calm, even if I didn't know what to do, 
it said, we don't need to panic. This isn't that bad. We've got it under control. Mom's, mom's here. Mom's calm. And it also helped me to come up with things to do because when you're panicking, you don't, you can't strategize. You go right into that fight, flight, or freeze mode and your cognitive processing shuts down. But when you stay calm, you actually are able to problem solve and think, okay, what, what do we need to do today? What, what, what can I take off the to-do list? Can we miss swim practice? Um, is that the best course of action right now? Does she need to go take a nap? Does she need food? You know, just processing all those, those possibilities are not possible when you go into fight, flight, or freeze because you're afraid. And especially as our kids get older, they can end up spending their energy. You know, they only have so much capacity, especially when they're dealing with anxiety. And they can end up spending that energy trying to deal with our feelings instead of being able to use that to help themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. One of the most heartbreaking conversations I ever had with my daughter was a time when she was telling me something that was going on and I said something, trying to show empathy when I said something like, you know, baby, when, when this hurts you, it hurts me. And she said, I know, I wish I wasn't such a burden. Mm. And that was such a, um, it was such an eye opener that if I can't get my feelings under control with her, then she feels like a burden to me, which is the last thing we ever want our kids to feel like. Yeah. Yeah. It's heartbreaking as a parent to hear your child say something like that or think something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) and just as a reminder, when I said earlier, um, you know, they might need a nap, they might need food. Um, You know, those are things that if you have a, a little kid, obviously those are things you think about, but truly as a mom of two teens now, those are things I have to think about with my teenagers. My teenagers are a lot like, you know, toddlers in these big bodies in so many ways that they need, they need their sleep. They need, they need a snack sometimes. And like you said, they are under, the teenage years are tough and the academic pressure, the social pressure, it's, it all builds up. If there's just a normal teenager who has no issue with any sort of mental health struggles, but almost everybody feels anxious. Everyone does. And teenagers, it's so, so common in teenagers to, to feel anxiety. And some of it really does come down to that self-care. Well, that's one of the things that I teach when I do emotional wellness is we start with emotional wellness starts with eating well, staying hydrated and sleeping enough. Because if you're not doing those things, your body can't respond right. And I love that you brought up the fact that that sounds like a toddler to a lot of people when it's not. Even my husband, I have to think ahead and go, okay, we're going to be taking off as a family. We're going to go spend the day at the beach or something. Has he eaten? Do we need, do I need to pack something for him to take? Because he just doesn't think about it. And once he hits that point where he's hungry and needs food, our body just takes over and then he can't think and try to problem solve. So that actually hits that two-sided thing. One, you said, yeah, you know, we, we need to look at them and think for them and go, hey, are they meeting their basic self-care needs? Is there something that in this moment or more in general needs to happen? 
but also that second piece again of when we're calm, we can be in the moment there and we can help, you know, because if I'm hangry, that's not going to help anything. Exactly, exactly. And the other thing that's so important for parents of kids who struggle with anxiety, which as I've said over and over, is everyone. Everyone struggles with anxiety at some point or another. Um, but what I think we have to do as parents is to model things because especially our teenagers, they do not do what we say as much as they will do what we do. And they really will do what we do if they see that it makes a difference. So a lot of the stuff I talk about in my book I had been asking my daughter to practice, you know, breathing techniques and to meditate for years. And she had absolutely no interest. Um, but when I started doing it and it was clear that it was helping me stay calmer, she had a little more like, what's that thing you're doing? What are, tell me a little bit more about that. What is that you just did? If they see you, you know, taking the deep breaths or closing your eyes and meditating or whatever, doing yoga, and it seems to be helping you, your kids are more interested. And they are certainly going to notice when we do better. Yes. When, because they're there, they're interacting with us. They know what it looks like as we move through our daily life. And when they can see us doing that with more peace and more calm, they will notice it. We, we tend to think of them as being so self-absorbed and to some degree, biologically they are, but they notice those things about us. And you're right. Absolutely need to be modeling these things for us. And, you know, as parents, again, you said, all right, if you won't do it really for yourself, do it for your child. And, and I think that as parents, we will, we're willing to, to push hard to make the change in ourselves for the sake of our children when we might not be willing to do it for ourselves. So what are some of the changes, Tanya, what are the, some of the things we can do in ourselves to help with our children's anxiety? So there's just some of the basic cliche things, and I know they're cliche, but they're cliche because they actually do work when they're done well. Like I just said, breathing, doing long, slow, deep breaths when you are feeling anxious actually does affect two systems at once. It helps your the psychological system, the, the thoughts that are spiraling in your head when you're feeling anxious. If you focus on your breath, you are taking your focus away from that thinking. So that's one way that that helps with an anxious period. The other way that breathing helps with anxiety is it creates a feedback mechanism. So you've got your amygdala that's triggered in your brain that's sending all these signals to your body to say you're in danger, you need to panic, you need to go into fight, flight, or freeze. And when you slow down your breath and make sure that you are getting really deep breaths, that's one of the secrets because when you're in fight, flight, or freeze, you tend to take fast, shallow breaths. And we tend not to, as a general rule, ever really take deep breaths. Um, but when you are consciously taking deep breaths, you send a message back up to your panicking brain that says, I've got lots of oxygen. We're okay. 
it's going to be okay. And just that simple action, you've got your breath with you all the time. You can do that anywhere. That in and of itself is super helpful in the moment. And the other thing that um, I could go with a bunch of other techniques, but one other thing to keep in mind, even with this simple technique, as I said, anxiety is normal. We've got a lot of kids who are wandering around feeling anxious and on top of feeling anxious, they're telling themselves, this isn't normal. Something is very wrong with me. I'm not okay. But when we as parents say things like, I'm feeling a little anxious, so I'm going to take some deep breaths right now. That tells our kids, oh, you feel anxious too. I didn't realize other people, I thought I was the only one who was feeling this way. Um, and it says, it's a normal thing and here's something I can do. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not feeling bad about myself. I'm just saying I'm feeling anxious and it's okay and I'm going to do something about it. I think just sharing sometimes that we feel anxious with our kids helps normalize it. Um, so those are like two simple, quick, quick things. And easy things, really. I, these are not complicated or difficult. We have no excuse not to do them. And I'll add um, a couple links into the show notes as I I'll see if we can grab a couple of other resources or explanations, either on your website or mine, I'm sure that we have a couple of different breathing techniques that people can use for anxiety because it is effective. One thing I just like to remind people is people take like three deep breaths and go, it didn't help. Right. You, you have to do it for a little while because it, as you said, Tanya, you explained that there is a physical feedback system going on. You need time for that oxygen to hit your system and for the brain to realize, oh, wait, I have time to stop and take deep breaths. I must be okay. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And yeah, that is what people, uh, why it doesn't work is because people tend to say, I am breathing. I never stopped breathing. You know, they assume that breathing is just breathing, but there's a specific way that you have to do it and you have to give it time for it to, to take effect. Yeah. And that psychological piece too. I know for me, I found that the box breathing helped because it forces me to be visualizing something which occupies all my brain function then between the deep breaths and the counting and the seeing a picture. I need all of that to make the, the thoughts stop churning in my brain. So we'll, we'll put a link in the show notes so people can get that. But I love your thoughts. What I'd like to do is circle back around actually for a minute because we may not even realize, I, again, you talked about this in your book a little bit, you know, some of the things, what it looks like. And I know even with dealing with anxiety, I hadn't fully realized some of the behaviors that I'd seen in my daughter that could have been driven by her anxiety. I was attributing them to something else. So could you share with us a little bit about what anxiety might look like in our kids, what behaviors we might be seeing? Yeah. Um, and, and me too, <laughs> me too to that. There were so many things that until my daughter struggled, um, it was only in hindsight that I looked back and said, Oh, that's what that was. And so if you're a parent and you're listening to this and you're thinking I should have seen it, please feel like, 
No, you shouldn't. It is hard. It is easy to miss and hard to spot sometimes when you're in the moment, just trying to get to baseball practice or whatever it is we're trying to do. Um, when your kids are struggling with anxiety, it helps to, I think, to go back to that fight, flight, or freeze because a lot of um, anxious behaviors fit into those buckets really nicely and those, they're the ones we miss. So um, fighting is basically a lot of times, you know, the anger in our teenagers, it's the anger, it's the stomping up the stairs, it's the slamming of the doors, it's the big emotional outburst um, that don't seem to fit with what's happening. It's the I told you I needed Doritos. You didn't buy Doritos. You know, those kinds of like, well, it's just Doritos. It seems like you're really overreacting to this. And <laughs> that that can be anxiety. Um, a grumpy, angry teenager is often an, an anxious teenager. And especially that is that seemed to be my daughter's go-to a lot. And when I looked back at her as a younger child, um, it was the meltdowns and tantrums that, um, I thought were meltdowns and tantrums, but often were, if I looked at the situation, it was a situation that was making her anxious. And that was her only, that was her emotional response to it. So sometimes it's fight, flight, um, when they're little, it can be a literal, you know, running away, hiding under things. And they'll do this at school. Um, they'll also do the, the fight at school. Sometimes, you know, the tantrums at school might be a sign that they're feeling anxious. Um, with our teenagers, what I find the most common example of flight, and I see it because I have two teenagers, so I'm around their friends all the time, and I see their friends doing it. It's the iPhone. It's the scrolling on the phone. It's different from the, the kids who are just sort of enjoying themselves looking at TikTok videos and looking at, um, you know, their their Instagram feed or Snapchat, but there are kids who it's clear when you really tune in and watch them, there is an energy and the way that they are scrolling through that phone is totally about, I'm having bad feelings and I'm doing this to distract myself from those bad feelings. And I, like I said, I see kids do it all the time. Kids um, the phone is like this crutch that we've all got that it helps us avoid feeling uncomfortable feelings, even just basic uncomfortable feelings like I'm sitting here all by myself and I don't know anyone and it feels kind of awkward. Um, that's an awkward feeling that those of us who are older and didn't have phones when we were young kind of had to learn to get used to. Um, and teenagers haven't had to learn to get used to that because they've always had their phones. And so we'll, I see it a lot. I see a lot of kids using their phones to escape that awkward, uncomfortable feeling. Um, even when they're together, even when they're sitting in a group, if whatever, you know, they just don't like feeling that awkwardness that you feel sometimes. No one's talking to me. I'm not part of this conversation. They're sharing a story that I, I'm not part of, so I'm going to scroll on my phone. So that's, that's just flight is all that is. So there's fight, there's flight and freeze in our kids. A lot of freeze looks like, um, a lot of times it looks like indecision and that, um, so I talk a lot about my daughter, but my son, that is his go-to uh, mode when he's feeling anxious that I've learned that when he feels anxious, he is 
incapable of making basic decisions and gets really just stuck. And it can be something as simple. There was a time when we were at Target and he needed to get toothpaste for camp and he could not select what kind of toothpaste to get. And, and I realized that it was more about, you know, getting ready to go to camp and the, all of the stress of that, that it had nothing to do with the toothpaste. And when you think to yourself, this doesn't make sense that this toothpaste decision should be so difficult, that's kind of a clue that there's probably more to it. Your child may be experiencing some anxiety and it's just showing up as freeze. They're frozen. They can't make a decision. They're asking, they might ask you lots of um, clarifying questions about something that doesn't seem like it needs a lot of clarification. You've asked them to do something and they do this at school in particular. Kids will be like, I can't move forward with this assignment until I ask you a thousand questions to make sure I understand the assignment. And that is often a child who's struggling with anxiety in that moment. Very interesting. And I can absolutely see how us taking care of ourselves so we can be in that calmer space. Number one, so we can be thinking, so we can recognize these behaviors as anxiety-driven behaviors, not a difficult teenager, not a child who's trying to push our buttons, but someone who really needs us. And then secondly, so that we can have the patience <laughs> to, to be in that situation because we're, you know, we're busy. We have lives, we have schedules, we have these kids, we have other things that we want and need to do. And as you said, you know, when you're staying there, they can't pick a toothpaste or a cereal or a whatever. You just want to grab one and go, okay, fine, I'm picking and we're done. And that's not helpful. In fact, from what you've said today, I would lean toward the idea that that would add to their anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, I would say if I, in hindsight, look back at so many times when there was an anxious child standing in front of me, but I was too busy to notice it. I was too focused on, we need to get to swim practice. <laughs> well, you have ballet class in 10 minutes. And and it did feel like it was just a child who was, again, being naughty and not doing what I wanted them to do in that moment. And if, if you can't slow down and tune into yourself and get calm, you will kind of, there was, there were a lot more um, conflicts in my house than there needed to be because I wasn't tuned into what was actually going on. Okay. So here we are. We are educated now. We are taking care of ourselves. So we are zen. We are calm. We recognize the behavior. How do we help our kid through that moment? I think um, we help our kid through the moment best by being in that moment with them. A, just, just being is a huge gift. Just um and not making it something that they have to hurry up and get through. You know, that's one of the things I think we tend to do wrong is say, okay, okay, now get over this. Let me talk you out of it so we can move on with our day. And anxiety isn't something that we can talk someone out of. Um, it is something, like I said, that is normal. And that's, that's one of the things I repeat over and over to 
a panicking child, any panicking child is this is normal. This is the way your body works. It's okay. It's, you know, let's just breathe into it using the same breathing techniques that I use myself. Let's just, let's just practice some breathing for a second. Let's just sit with it. It, if, if this needs, if you need to feel this way, if your body needs to feel this way, we're going to let it feel this way as long as it needs to. It's okay. It's okay to feel this way. And by flipping it from, this is something, this isn't good. This isn't right. We need to fix it to, this is normal and it's okay. And we're going to let it be this way as long as it needs to. It's a paradoxical thing happens where we are no longer fighting it and relaxing into it, which actually makes anxiety better. Um, so that is, that's one. And the other thing, I'm going to go back to what we said about we're all Zen, we're all perfect and say, <laughs> you're not. And I'm not. And I've been doing this for years and I wrote a book about it and I mess up every single day. So we're, you're going to mess up. You're going to get it wrong. I still miss and get busy and have a kid who's having a huge, what looks like a temper tantrum and I react to it and then realize, Oh my gosh, she was feeling anxious and I just reacted to it. And so another huge piece of this is you have to have self-compassion. You have to just start over all the time. Your kid's going to get it wrong. You're going to get it wrong and that's okay. We just try again the, the next time <laughs> because if we, you know, if we get caught up in this, oh, well, I screwed up, so obviously I'm not good at this. Obviously, I didn't learn. I didn't get it right. Then you'll never get it right. It's all about just accepting that, oh, I screwed up, but I'm going to try again next time. So you say that you want to show us how to do this, how to stop worrying about our anxious child so we can relax, enjoy parenthood, and begin to trust in our child's bright future again. And I think it is that fear, that fear of, for them, that fear of what their life will be like, what they might miss out on if they are facing issues, if we feel like this anxiety is causing problems in their life or taking over their life. And yet what you're showing us is just like we talk to our child and said, okay, if your body needs to feel this way, then we'll just let it be this way as long as we need to. It's normal. And you breathe into that and it allows it to relax by not worrying about it. That's kind of the same thing that's happening with us, right? You're showing us how as a parent, we can breathe into that fear, which lets us release that fear. And I appreciate that so much. And I appreciate you spending time with us today, Tanya. For listeners who want more from you, where can they get that? Well, my book, as you mentioned, it will be in bookstores uh, in early 2021. But if you are listening to this and would like a preview, um, I do have the entire book as a free download on this website. It's from anxious to calm.com. So it's all one, one word from anxious to calm. If you, um, go to that website, you can download the book and read it. And you can always find me, my um, email address is Tanya, which is with an O, a Y, and an A, because there's a million ways to spell Tanya. But Tanya at guidanceforthefuture.com is where you can find me. 
And we'll, of course, have links to all of that in the show notes. So thank you again, Tanya, for just being so candid and, and so open in what you've shared with parents in the book and today. No, thank you, Sandy. This was so awesome. I love talking about anxiety and kids, which is a weird thing, but this was so awesome to be able to do it with you today. Well, thank you. And mighty parents, thank you for being here. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please share it with another parent who might just need that bit of relief as well. And then again, remember to go to mightyparenting.com and grab that free email on talking to your teen. Thank you for joining us today and being part of the Mighty Parenting community. Remember, you are a mighty parent, so you've got this. And I will see you next week.